It's more than a trade. Right. It's different than a trade. It's different than a profession. It's more like a craft. Everything we do is handcrafted and one of a kind. Every issue is different. Every story is different. Every approach is different. Every person who does it does it differently. Mm -hmm. And so it's more, if you think of it as more like a craft, it kind of helps think of it that way. Welcome to The Conversation, the Arkansas Times podcast. I'm here today with Gwen Moritz. <laughs> Moritz. <laughs> she just told me not to do that, and it was on my head, in my mind, and so I did it incorrectly. I apologize, Gwen. Gwen is the editor for Arkansas Business, and she has been there for 19 years. Uh-huh. All right. Started in 1999. Welcome, Gwen. We're glad to have you today. Thanks very much. I wanted to talk about journalism as an industry and as a profession. What got you into journalism? And then what are the journalist code of ethics? You know, doctors have a Hippocratic oath. Lawyers have a code of ethics. Accountants have a code of ethics. So there's a lot in there. So we can just start with really how you got into journalism. Oh, um, if you were to ask my mother, she would say that it was the path of least resistance for me, that I always took the classes that I enjoyed the most that came easiest for me. Uh, If she had had her way, I would be an optometrist, (laughs) but my mother rarely got her way, apparently. And um, I started pretending to make newspapers when I was a little girl. Oh, really? Yes. What did those look like? I just don't know. Just <laughs> Construction them, paper. Yeah, yeah, just drew them out, little columns and everything. We, I grew up reading the uh, Arkansas Gazette. I grew up in North Little Rock. Okay. And uh, we had the uh, Arkansas Gazette on the table. I read it from childhood, uh, mainly Ann Landers' column, hmm. uh, where mm-hmm. I learned everything you need to know to be an adult. <laughs> in high school, there was a spectacular journalism teacher at North Little Rock Northeast, uh, named uh, Gail Hopkins, Myrna Gail Hopkins, and we teased her to, by calling her Myrna. She's still around in North Little Rock. And uh, she taught journalism two hours a day to juniors and seniors. And you could spend two hours a day for two years uh, with a really spectacular teacher who taught us to write leads and to think like journalists and to produce what was uh, at the time a a nationally recognized, what they call a scholastic award-winning student newspaper. And I was editor of that in my senior year, which was 1978 and 79. I wasn't going to ask. No, no. <laughs> uh, And then I went uh, to Harding, where my sister had gone to college. Most of us did not have journalists for right. parents. So we <clears throat> we didn't learn how to consume journalism, how to be consumers of the news. And... In today's media landscape, the cries of fake news, things like that, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people in the middle. There's obviously a lot of people on either end of that spectrum, and, you know, it's very polarized. But a lot of people in the middle, I think, don't know what to think. You know, I think it's easy for a lot of people to say, okay, I can understand and trust doctors because I know they have a Hippocratic Oath. I can understand and trust most lawyers because they have a code of ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the journalist's code of ethics? What are those rules that you guys are, are bound by that I think most people don't know about? Well, because they're not exactly the same as doctors and lawyers. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law concerning you know, the free press and, and religion. So anyway, read your First Amendment. 
But Congress shall make no law, and so there is no, and that has uh, been accepted also that the states will make no law. So uh, journalists are whoever they say they are, and they have no licensing requirement. And to just put out a bunch of junk is perfectly legal. That's your, that's the First Amendment. But those of us who have tried to make a living at it and tried to do it as a public service rather than just as, just as a living or just to generate clicks in right. order to generate Google ad dollars. Right. That's an important uh, distinction. It is. Yeah. Uh, for those of us who have done it as a public service, there are accepted codes of ethics. I'm a member of the Society of Professional Journalists. I think that's a misnomer. We are not professionals in the same sense that a doctor or a lawyer would be, or a teacher or a nurse, people that are actually tested and licensed by the state. And I like to refer to journalism more as a craft. It's more than a trade. Right. It's different than a trade. It's different than a profession. It's more like a craft. Everything we do is handcrafted. And one of a kind, every issue is different, every story is different, every approach is different, every person who does it does it differently. Mm -hmm. And so it's more, if you think of it as more like a craft, it kind of helps think of it that way. But there are things we want to do that are ethical so that we're on the same side as the reader. And instead of necessarily being on the same side as the advertiser or as the owner Uh, And so in a professional SPJ-type newsroom setting, you're going to have your editorial, and by that I mean your news staff. The content side of your business is going to be on the side of the reader, not necessarily on the side of the newsmakers, although under the SPJ Code of Ethics, and it's long and we could go through a lot of it, but uh, it does uh, talk about making sure that we're not taking advantage of people who have not volunteered to be in the news. We're going to treat victims of an apartment fire differently than we would treat the mayor. Right. You would hope. Right. I mean, those are the kind of thing where you'd want to, and where you treat people with compassion. These are the reasons we have pretty much industry standard rules on when you do and do not identify the victim of a sexual assault Mm -hmm. or uh, when you do and do not report on suicide. That's a really tricky one, but there are a lot of uh, situations where you want to make sure that the fact that you can report it doesn't mean you should. Sometimes I like Hmm. to call that the Jurassic Park dilemma. (laughs) Just because we can do it, does that mean we should? And there's a lot of things that we we pass on just because even though there might be uh, some prurient interest in something, doesn't mean that it's important enough that we should fling somebody's personal business out there, private lives out there. Luckily, I happen to be holding hey, a you. copy of the Code of Ethics. I was going to read a, a couple of them, or the kind of the, mm-hmm. the higher, the, it's broken down into, let's see, one, two, three, four sections. I'll just read the, the categories. Seek truth and report it. Minimize harm. Act independently and be accountable and transparent. Correct. Seek truth and report it. I think most people realize what we mean by seek truth. They may mm-hmm. not agree with it, but they, I think they understand that. The part about and report it is important as well because it means you shouldn't hide something from the public that they need to know, that you shouldn't spike a story 
that and for those of you that don't know spike a story means not not report it (laughs) yeah you know about it but you've decided Mm -hmm. uh for one reason or another that you shouldn't publish it sometimes that is made for an ethical reason Mm -hmm. we know about this thing it's nobody's business it's not really in the public it's not the public's business but there are a lot of other stories over the years that have been spiked for reasons that are not <laughs> ethical, and that would be it's about an advertiser we don't want to offend, although you know that it's in the public's interest that they should know about it, but we're not going to because we're more afraid of the advertiser. I'm not saying me, you understand. Right, I'm just right. saying that that's, that's the kind of thing sure. that, uh, that this is uh, aimed at is seek the truth, and when you find it, you should report it. So. It, Following that and then putting it more into practical Mm -hmm. terms. Um, And I think I really believe people would be very confident and and feel very good about our approach to news. We are looking always for stories that nobody else has told to a particular niche audience. And that audience is business executives in Arkansas. Right. We want our stories to be readable and enlightening to any reader. But our target audience is the business executive in Arkansas. Everything we write about, everything we live and breathe over there is for that particular audience. Who can we put the blame on? If, you know, if, if we're placing blame here, if we're looking at, ca- at maybe just root causes, uh, should this reality have been expected because of industry consolidation and just changes with the way people get their news, the Internet, or... Is it a combination, or is it people attacking the news? Well, there's some of that, and some of the news deserves to be attacked. Mm-hmm. That, that's the thing is, like, it, this is not a either-or. All the news is good, and you should trust it all, or all the news is bad, and you shouldn't trust any of it. Uh, I think people need to be, that's like saying all food is good, and you should eat all of it, or all food is bad, and you should eat none <laughs> of it. It's an important part of life. Uh, In order to have a well-rounded life, you need to be exposed to news, but you need to be able to separate out the quality products that are giving you the nutrients that you need. I'm belaboring this analogy. (laughs) I was Um, just going to throw in shredded coconut is horrible. That should not be included. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to argue that all of the media in uh, in our society is good and that we should trust it all. What has happened, though, the Internet has upended the news industry's business plan. It used to be very simple, and there were a lot of rules of thumb, you know, for X thousands of subscribers, you should have another reporter. You should add another reporter because you have this many subscribers and you can afford this. And the advertisers subsidized heavily the product Subscribers paid maybe enough to print the paper or maybe enough to deliver the paper, but certainly not enough to to keep all the lights on and keep the reporters paid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was just a heavy subsidization going on from the, is that a word? Sub- subsidy from the, yeah. um, from the advertisers. You know, uh, looking at it now, you know, you can kind of see the the overarching narrative mm. of, you know, the consolidation of the industry that was going on kind of at the same time the Internet was coming on board. And it's like, well, of course this happened. You know, oh, yeah. Of course, Everything like, is so clear in It's hindsight. so clear. And when you're looking back on it, let's try to take some of that clear clear vision 
forward. Okay. What do you see for the the media landscape in the next five to ten years? Will will fake news be an issue in ten years? Yeah, I think it's going to be, and, and in fact, there may be some ways in which it's going to get worse. There's new video editing technology that can make people make it look real, that people are really saying things that they're not. And, and if now, you haven't seen that, guys, you got to go scary. on YouTube and look at it. It is, it's kind of horrifying. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure what you would uh, look for, but there is <laughs> there is technology out there that will fake video of real people saying mm-hmm. real things, and it looks right, and it sounds right. And the clues like Greenville Gazette or WKPT Channel 11 or whatever right. that make it feel real, like a real local news mm-hmm. news outlet, news organization online, this is that on steroids where it looks like not only is this a real news organization, they've got real video of real people saying real things and you and it could be totally fake. Right. And it's kind of like, I think so, it, was, it was like Mark Twain said, you know, a lie can make it halfway around the world before oh, yeah. the truth well, can even get out of bed. There's actually some some new reporting, uh, actually some some scientific research. I think it was done by Twitter or using Twitter as the source. Yeah, and, how yeah. that fake news spreads. So it's uh, and uh, why don't they do something about that? Well, Congress shall make no law. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so our of- First Amendment that protects the freedom of the press also protects people who want to abuse that. The law can't prevent it. Some civil, you know, I think we need to see more civil litigation uh, make it really painful. The Gawker case was a good one that made it really painful to abuse somebody's privacy that Mm -hmm. way. Alex Jones of InfoWars is is being sued some more. Uh, Fox News is being sued by the family of Seth Rich, who is, you know, if you don't know that story, you can Google that too. But to even somebody that was trying to get it right, I don't know about Fox and Seth, uh, the Seth Rich story. I'm not, they haven't apologized for it or corrected it. And so I have to assume they know they got it wrong and aren't willing to, don't want to get it right. Right. But even somebody like Rolling Stone, which I wouldn't put in the mainstream category, but somebody, but they intended to do a investigative a piece, yeah. fact piece called a, a rape on campus. This was about two years ago, I guess, maybe three at the University of Virginia. And they got it all wrong because they didn't follow fundamental the reporting techniques, yeah. blocking and tackling. Mm-hmm. They just didn't do it right. It was kind of astonishing how badly they did on that so uh and they've been sued yeah. and rolling stone i believe has sold has they recently had, sold yeah um they owned up not, to it and apologized yeah, they did but stuff. still yeah. it 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 hurts your brand forever sure. to do something to get it so wrong and not even just the their their individual brand it hurts the industry it does. as a whole you said something earlier that i thought was really interesting when you said that journalism is you view journalism more as a craft as opposed to an industry. As opposed to a profession. Or excuse me, as opposed to a profession. So I, I think that's really intriguing. That's an intriguing point of view. But I, I, I guess I have to ask, how does that mesh today, you know, talking about the video technology now that will allow you to fake people's faces and that sort of stuff? Yeah, how that's do you- not, but that's not journalism. Real journalism is a, is a craft. That is just a fraud. That's like saying 
you're a great businessman. No, I'm a fraudster. <laughs> right. Uh, so sure, but video, real- but video is a is a medium for quote unquote real journalism. It, it is. is. It's a medium. So if journalism is a craft, and you're having to deal with that, I guess how I mean when I think of craft, I think of someone that like uh, works with their hands. You know, th- this is kind of your analogy. That you know, is someone that works with their hands learns things from the past, kind of a, you know, there's institutional knowledge. Yes. How... And techniques that you use. Right. But your handcrafted item is still going to be one of a kind. Right. Uh, especially if you're using all fresh new materials to put together to make this thing. And that's journalism. So are the journalists um, of the future going to have, if they want it to continue to be a craft, mm-hmm. and I, I really like that analogy. I think that's a really great analogy. Um are they going to have to be equal parts? Is their craft going to have to be equal parts technology and you know, understanding I, I think it? a lot of it already is. And in order to get journalism out where people are, bringing your product and whoever's paying for it, either the readers or the advertisers, bringing all that together is, you know, is the constant struggle. How do we get people to support what we're doing? And it is a business. It is an industry. But already we try different ways. Uh, you're doing a podcast over here. Right. We're talking about doing a podcast. Haven't gotten there quite yet, <laughs> but we're talking about doing a podcast at Arkansas Business that would be kind of a, a little different kind of thing. We use Twitter. I use Twitter a lot. We use, uh, but our every headline on Arkansas Business when it's posted is automatically tweeted out. Mm-hmm. We have a you know a Twitter feed that goes out. Our online editor Lance Turner. It was so early on Twitter that he has. At, at LT. At LT yeah. as his. And what's your handle? You should promote Gwen yours. Gwen Moritz. Yeah. At Gwen Moritz. It's a great, she's great um, to follow. We're working with that as well. The problem is to find the formats that uh, actually can support themselves. Right now, advertising in print is still much more expensive, therefore, uh, you know, more lucrative, more uh, profitable for almost everybody. That's why these print publications haven't gone away. And what's more, I think people really like print advertising better. I mean, if you were really to get right down to it, which ads bother you the least? Right. It's those ads in in print where you can look at them at your own pace. Yeah. Or you can just flip right by them if you're not interested. And they don't interrupt your reading. They don't automatically start playing and interrupt what you're doing. And they are in different locations, so you can't just tune them out. Mm-hmm. So I think people actually, if you got right down to it, other than maybe Super Bowl ads, uh, which are part of the show, mm-hmm. um, I think print advertising is the one that people actually like best or dislike least. Mm-hmm. If you if you have to have, you know, advertising sure. in your life, and we really do. I love our advertisers that are trying to reach the same audience that I'm trying to bring in with with our content. Mm-hmm. Um, we're already doing technology on special features. We already try to make a special websites that give people the, the best online experience. One of the problems, I think, with online news is that there are few visual clues as to how important this is. Every tweet looks alike. Right. Every uh, story on a website looks alike. This is true at our website. It's true everywhere mm-hmm. that because they are all in the same format, there is no hierarchy right. uh, unless you go directly to the homepage, which is 
the least likely place people enter a story. They usually enter it from a tweet or right. from Facebook or from somebody sent you a link or you got, we have e-newsletters. We've been doing that since December of 2000. We've had push e-newsletters daily, yeah. twice daily. Several of them, we have weekly industry yeah. newsletters. I get both of them. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and that's where people enter. And when you do that, you have one story on the page. And it is the only story on the page, and it's as big and important as any other story when you go on online. And so that's a problem with the technology is how do we signal to people this is opinion versus news? This is because a lot of people that are not used to newspapers looking at their editorial page, they don't get the difference. Mm -hmm. It's not intuitive. Uh, How do we uh, this is a very big, important story. We tried for a while saying this is breaking news, right. and now it turns out everything's breaking news. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so even that doesn't mean anything yeah. anymore. So online, there are hurdles for those of us who really, really do want to be that public service that says, here's an interesting little story you might want to read sometime versus the president just fired the secretary of state. Online, everything looks the same. Right. So the, the technology there, we're struggling with it. I don't if you if you've ever though looked back at newspapers from a hundred years ago or a hundred and fifty years ago, they had a hard time too. It's all type font, right? Like how big how big was the font? Well it was. uh, but more than that, I mean they have very limited layout. They can't Mm. call attention to anything. White space didn't happen. Everything's very grave. And so their technology limited their ability to show you what was the most important. This is this is not any, you know, this is not a new problem. It's just the new, the newest iteration of this same problem of how do we serve the reader, our audience best and make sure that they get the news they need and get other information that is of value or interest to them, but without overwhelming them by pretending that they're all equal. Right. And the on, and online is terrible for that. It's very hard to tell what's important. Right. And in a newspaper, if you trust your local newspaper's news judgment, that's a big if. But Mm -hmm. if you trust them, then they were doing that for you. They were saying, this story is on page 1A, and it's at the top right. And it's it's the biggest news story of the day, in our opinion. Some other story was on page A6, and it's down at the bottom, and it's a little bitty story. But online, they all look alike. Right, right. Well, Gwen, I just wanted to thank you for coming on the conversation today. And check us out on iTunes. You can subscribe. And then you can also follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Arkansas Times. Thank you very much. Thank you. podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast